Is he supposed to look like that? No, I've never seen a mummy look like this before. He's, he's still... still... Juicy. Yes. Hello, and welcome to Mission Recall, a podcast about 90s action movies. We're your hosts, Steve Parkhurst. And Oriana Schwint. And we're going to be talking about 90s action movies. You know, the ones you kept on every time they appeared on cable, even if you turned them on right in the middle. We love these movies too, and we want to rewatch and talk about them, so we'll be doing that with action movies that premiered between 1990 and 1999. And what better way to start this podcast than with that stone-cold classic, The 1999 Mummy, directed by Stephen Summers, starring Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz. And boy, well, we have a lot to say about them. Uh, ha ha <laughs> Hachi Mama. <laughs> Stay tuned. So for the few of you who have never seen the 1999 version of The Mummy, we're going to do a quick uh, recap. Though, really, what are you doing? This, go watch it immediately. Pause this podcast if you have to, but a little refresher for you guys. That actually would be better if you did that, but if for some reason you just can't pull yourself away, here's a very brief uh, outline of the plot. <clears throat> Way back in ancient Egypt, Imhotep, the high priest of the pharaoh, gets caught snogging, good writing there, Mariana, <laughs> gets caught snogging Pharaoh's daughter, Anuxanamun, and the Pharaoh's guards kill her. Imhotep wants to resurrect his girlfriend, but he's caught mid-resurrection and is mummified alive and has flesh-eating beetles poured over him and is condemned in both this life and the next. So, 3,000 years later... Imhotep's resting place is discovered. Brendan Fraser is Rick O'Connell, a swashbuckling French Foreign Legion type who fought a battle and lost at Hamanoptra, which is the city of the dead and the site of Imhotep's resting place. Brother and sister duo Jonathan and Evelyn, Evie, are our beautiful Rachel Weiss. Um, so they're looking for Hamanoptra because Jonathan found a MacGuffin that has a map. And there's lots of treasure that's supposed to be at Hamanoptra, and also lots of stuff that nerds who are into ancient Egypt want to read, I don't know, nerd shit. Uh, the map gets burned, but O'Connell knows where Hamanoptra is, so they save O'Connell from being hanged for being like a thief and a scoundrel, uh, and they head off to find Hamanoptra. But a group of Americans are also heading to Hamanoptra. Uh, various hijinks ensue as the descendants of Pharaoh's bodyguards try to keep them from reaching Hamanoptra. O'Connell and Evie connect in a very classic old rom-com fashion. And after connecting, or while connecting, I suppose, uh, they arrive at Hamanoptra. Evie accidentally wakes the mummy up by reading from the Book of the Dead and stuff starts to go sideways. Uh, Imhotep needs to get his life force back, so he sucks the life out of the Americans uh, and then captures Evie so he can sacrifice her to bring back Anuxanamun. O'Connell and Jonathan find the Book of Amun-Ra, which allows them to make the mummy mortal and kill him, and uh, everyone is real happy at the end. Happy ending. So, Oriana, why does this movie bang? 
Well, first of all, let's establish that, yes, this movie bangs very, very hard. Uh, This movie is very horny. And that was your initial observation was, oh, my God, this movie is so horny. And I love that. I love that despite being fairly chaste, there's not really a lot of nudity. You kind of see some outlines of butts and boobs. Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz only kiss at the end. It's a very sensual, horny, intimate movie. And I love that. Yeah. So we watched this kind of, um, we're recording this in July of 2021. And currently on Twitter, there's a lot of uh, discourse happening about sex in uh, blockbusters and the the relative lack thereof. And I think that's a good point. I would love for there to be more sex in blockbusters. Uh, but I think what's missing from the discourse is just that it's much more about horniness. Like there's no actual sex in The Mummy. It's just people being real good looking and having great chemistry and just just vibing. That is that is a vibe, and it's instantaneous between uh, Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz. Rachel Weisz, this was kind of her first really big role, and thank goodness. Uh, th- and this was peak Brendan Fraser. Uh, you know, he'd done a number of movies before this and been very good in them, but this was like, oh my god, uh, very. You know, he has the perfect energy for this role for this very swashbuck, this kind of himbo type energy, and he's such a warm character. Like Brendan Fraser has a warmth to him, and in fact, this entire movie has a warmth to it, visually, uh, emotionally. It's just you, you, you slide into this world very easily, and you want to stay there even though there's this mummy. Uh, it's a very hot mummy. Arnold Vosloo is incredibly attractive uh, and does an amazing job selling a love story, you know, with someone who isn't really on screen, like, at all after the first couple minutes. She is super hot, though, to be fair. Yes. Uh, yeah, this is just a movie of smoke shows. Uh, everybody, the whole the whole uh, cast. Yeah, shout out to Oded Fair, uh, who who plays um, Ardeth Bay, which is a, a shout out to the 1932 mummy, in which the mummy takes that name as a sort of a, an assumed identity. Uh, I, I feel like they don't actually say his name uh, in the 99 mummy, but that is what he's listed as on, on IMDb. I think one thing that's interesting about the 99 mummy is that everyone seems like a person. And by that, I mean, like, they're goofballs, they kind of fuck things up, like it's Rachel Weisz's character who actually brings the mummy back to life. But everyone you're rooting for everybody they're really even the mummy as the villain isn't really a villain uh benny isn't a villain like there are scoundrels and and kind of bad guys in this and yet it's just it's it's a fun light romp uh and especially these days that feels harder and harder to find where everything is just a dirge like it's so deathly serious uh we i won't get into it now but we'll talk a little bit about the 2017 mummy in a little bit and i think that suffers from from that kind of modern problem of movies just being just too serious too self-important and this one is just swashbuckling 
that sense of fun, you know, leads to some really indelible moments. I think an exchange that I think of on at least a weekly basis is on the way to Hamanoptera, everyone is taking a boat and down down a river and the the boat is attacked by the descendants of Pharaoh's bodyguards who are trying to stop these people from reaching Hamanoptera. And uh, everyone goes overboard and the Americans being led by Benny, the scoundrel who, you know, had fought with O'Connell in the French Foreign Legion and, and knows where where Hamanoptera is as well. He and the Americans end up on one side of the river and O'Connell and Evie and Jonathan end up on the other side of the river. And uh, Benny yells, you know, hey, O'Connell, looks to me like I've got all the horses. And Brendan Fraser does perhaps the most iconic line reading uh, where he goes, hey, Benny, looks to me like you're on the wrong side of the river. And I just think about that all the time. Hi, Benny! Looks to me like you're on the wrong side of the river! And it's the denouement of an action sequence that is just one of many uh, that, Steve, you've made this point about other action movies where each action sequence stand is, an, is a short film of its own, really. It has its own arc and progresses as you would expect, you know, a full short film to do and, and and stands on its own, you can understand it without even knowing what happened around it in the movie. Yeah, I think uh, the classic example of that is the T-Rex reveal scene in Jurassic Park, which we will talk about at some point. But, uh, you know, The Mummy does that as well, where everything kind of exists just as its own contained package, where if you were to watch the clip on, say, YouTube or something now, it makes sense. It stands on its own. And I think that actually also leads into talking about the special effects here, because obviously the special effects are a big part of action sequences, and they were really coming into their own in the 90s. Yeah, and what was really astonishing to me was how well these effects all hold up. The penultimate action sequence where Brendan Fraser is fighting against these skeletons uh, that are bodyguards in, in this sort of resurrection temple. He is fighting thin air. I had no idea. Shout out to the Corridor crew We'll link to the video in the show notes. They are a YouTube channel that that talks about visual effects. And they had one of the guys who worked on VFX for the 1999 Mummy. And he revealed that that Brendan Fraser is not as he is fighting thin air. And he is selling it so much better than I've ever seen. Better than any Star Wars uh sequel better than or prequel or prequel oh boy which was around the same time actually mm-hmm. uh phantom menace was was 99. 99 and yet this has so much more to it um brendan fraser does an incredible job of giving real weight and it's also a very comedic scene uh, and i find a lot of modern fight scenes to drag on and be kind of boring and lack a lot of tension, usually because there's a lot of gunplay that just doesn't resonate with me. But Brendan Fraser, he's funny. Uh, You know, there's a lot of physical comedy during these fights in like kind of a Jackie Chan sort of way. And I just love that. Yeah, you can see why he was uh, an action star at the time. He just knows how to act in an action scene like he knows how to give something you know 
some weight and feeling and feel like he's actually fighting these sort of Ray Harryhausen-esque skeletons. And I also think, you know, like, look, the effects aren't perfect. Technically speaking, the effects in the 2017 Mummy are technically better. But I think what's missing is that movies in this era, in like the mid to late 90s, were still operating on the... um, kind of scarcity model where you could only afford so much in terms of special effects. So your budget for the effects was, you know, limited and you had to really focus on making the ones you could get good uh, and you had the time to do it right. So even the effects that are a little dodgy by today's standards, like the the little pool of souls uh, effect. Oh, yeah, that's a little... But I kind of love how kind of... low rent it sort of is well and i think what works is that even though it's something you could do in after effects today in like an hour uh that's not the entire scene the entire scene isn't made out of this one effect whereas movies made now you know it's one person surrounded by effects rather than one effect surrounded by people um so you know today's movies age a lot more quickly because even though it was a cutting edge effect at the time it looks bad and you can't ignore it because that's the entire scene i think a good example today is the the hobbit uh sequels where you know uh the lord of the rings movies all look good even though technically speaking the effects in the hobbit are better they're more highly rendered they're more detailed but they look worse it's a weird thing and we're not going to get into a Lord of the Rings discussion here, but like <laughs> the mummy works because the effects are just flavoring the scene. Yeah. The scene is Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weiss and the other characters who you get to know and love. That's what you're focused on. And then, hey, cool, some skeletons. And I think what helps is taking that time to really get to know. It's a very focused movie. Uh, which I really, really appreciate. You get the intro, which is, which you know, is very economical in terms of uh, introducing us to Imhotep, his love, and the tragedy that befalls them, because it is a tragedy, and and that really helps sell this. Um, the actors do such a good job with, you know, very little time. Then you're with. Jonathan, Evie, and O'Connell, and you get some of the Americans sprinkled in later, um, but it's all very, very focused. You're in a very defined physical space with these people, and they're given a chance to really bounce off each other and really develop. The mummy does not appear until like an hour into the movie, and I, I, I keep saying this, but I love that. I, lo- I love that for us as a viewing audience because you get to build this threat as they come under attack several times from the pharaoh's bodyguards who are again not a villain they're an antagonist but you come to realize oh for good reason once again these fucking white people are coming and sticking their noses where it doesn't belong they take the time and i don't i I don't see that as often yeah i think there's sort of a loss of focus on the characters of of action movies these days i think with very few exceptions, like there's this idea that you have to get to the action, you know, by, at least by the 30 minute mark, if not before then. And what you lose is character development. A lot of productions forget that that's not that important to get to the action that fast. You don't see the T-Rex 
until an hour in. You don't see the mummy until an hour in. Neo doesn't go with the crew into the Matrix until some, I actually don't know the exact time <laughs> code, but pretty late in. Like uh, it's you know things happen. That's the thing. There's still action leading up to the kind of the main incident. But you also just spend time, like we see Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz's characters getting drunk and flirty, and it's a lot of fun. Like, you can have fun without action in your action movie. It's okay. Let it breathe. It's, <laughs> it's so important, Larry. <laughs> that is funny because I have often confused Eric Avari, who plays uh, Evie's like, boss at the, at the library in Cairo, with uh, Cy Abelman. Um, Fred yeah. Melamed. Fred Melamed. I, I confuse him with Stephen Tobolowsky. So. Oh, yep. Yep. Uh, hopefully we get some of those guys in some of these movies because they're just very choice. But, you know, it isn't just taking the time. It's also like the style of dialogue. And, you know, here the Mummy 1999 benefits greatly from being a period piece. Although, they, you know, they don't do crazy amounts of, of very 20s dialogue but there is a cadence to it that's a bit more you know slightly screwball not totally but like there's there's sort of an underpinning there it doesn't have steve you came up with this but i'm stealing it the whedon cadence and look there's a lot that can be said about whedon uh we're not going to get into that all we don't have time to unpack all that between whedon and sorkin like Pretty much all scripts fall into one of those two categories now. And for Whedon, it's just the delivery of, you said a thing, I said a thing, you said a thing, I said a thing. And you're just repeating that at at louder Mm -hmm. volumes. And there are some actors who can pull it off. I would say like Robert Downey Jr. in The Avengers can pull it off. Mm -hmm. Like that's not to say it's necessarily always bad, but it's just so all-encompassing now. And mm-hmm. it's a big problem in the 2017 Mummy where they just keep repeating the same line to each other but louder as though that is the height of comedy and, and witticism. Yeah, And it's just exhausting, especially once you start to hear it, you hear it everywhere. Everywhere. And it, it takes away from actual character-building dialogue, I feel like. I feel like it has been replaced by this, like... Oh, let's just shout. Let's just, you know, inc- increase our vol- increased volume uh, increases the tension in the scene and all scenes have to be tense. The 99 Mummy is great because it, yeah, Buffy was out at the time, but it hadn't really taken over the world yet, mm-hmm. uh, that style. Uh, and, you know, it's a modern movie for 99. Like, they're talking like modern people. Yeah. But with just a little bit of a hint of that sort of mid-Atlantic, snappy, uh, Hayes Code mm-hmm. era, just just rat-a-tat. Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz just pull it off, and everybody does mm-hmm. it. Like, there are lovable drunks, you know, Evie and her brother, Jonathan, are both just drunk most of the time. Yeah, shout, shout out to John Hanna, who is really just great comic relief here. Uh, and Amit Jalili, I am so sorry uh, if he ends up listening to this podcast, um, but he plays the warden of the prison that that O'Connell is in in the beginning, and he is uh, a, just a nasty kind of piece of work. But he's very funny. He's gross, but he's warm, and you you he's you like watching him. And you know when he does <laughs> spoiler alert, even though that happens before the mummy even wakes up, when he does come to uh, an end, it's because he's a greedy little 
piggy. Greedy little piggy who wants the scarab jewels and then they, you know, come to life and eat him, which is a great... There's this like nested planting and payoff that happens where the warden is like, oh, I hate bugs. And then that's used for comic relief. And then he gets eaten by bugs uh, or dies because one burrows into him. And then that sets the stage for Jonathan to have something similar almost happen to him. And then (laughs) that sets the stage for Benny to be eaten by scarabs in the dark eventually. There's an escalation to it that is really clever. That's actually something uh, that I wanted to mention earlier, which is just how well constructed a lot of these movies are. The Mummy is a prime example, but most 90s blockbusters are actually really well made. The plants have payoffs. The characters all have arcs, and it was sort of a golden age of side characters, Uh, not just sidekicks, but actual just just a cast full of fun side Mm -hmm. characters, sort of, I'll call it the the Bill Paxton law of side characters. (laughs) When we talk about true lies, he's, well, I'll I'll talk about it, um, because boy, Paxton in the 90s just amazing uh but like the mummy is chock full of these great side characters who all have their own little mini arcs um and either their rewards or their punishments depending on their characters and and their actions and that's something that's really missing um you know and you see that more and more these days where things just kind of vanish or Mm -hmm. just don't have a payoff or just there for no reason and i remember as a little kid well yeah mostly a little kid in the 90s watching these movies and my parents were kind of snobs about this stuff and and would say like oh you know big schlocky dumb blockbusters Mm -hmm. they're just they're just turn off your brain and have some fun and i took that to heart and it's only years later going back and watching them being like no no these are actually really Really good good. like actually good movies a lot of them get a lot of flack and not the mummy everyone kind of universally agrees that that the mummy but is But they didn't at the time. I remember a lot of critics really? panning the mummy. Yeah. Or well, okay. All I had was, you know, the local paper <laughs> yeah. and like Rolling Stone, so a lot of critics might be a bit much, but like I do remember a general sense of like, well, it's a schlocky dumb action yeah. movie. It's not same thing with like Twister. Like yeah. a lot of just like, well, it's dumb fun, whatever. Ha <laughs> ha. It's like, no, it's actually it's smart fun. It's very smart. And meanwhile, me, The Mummy was one of a couple movies that was like on repeat at sleepovers. Mm. We we loved this and like Ocean's Eleven. That was that was kind of a revelation. So the actor who plays Benny is very good in the role. But like it's Benny Gabor is is the character's name and he's played by Kevin J. O'Connor. And again, it's a really great performance, but that's not going to fly uh, these days. And yet, shockingly, like, you know, the late 90s leading up to 9-11 were, there was a lot of Islamophobia. It hadn't reached its height, certainly, but like a lot of racism just in general. I mean, that's still happening, but there was kind of, a, I was kind of shocked at how not racist and not Islamophobic this movie is. Our heroes are, are white, but they do a pretty solid job of having that undercurrent of like British Empire doing, you know, this, this was all just, this all could have been avoided if everyone had just not done this. Really, apart from a couple of sort of colorblind casting choices that these days would be frowned upon, there's it's 
pretty unproblematic overall. Yeah. Benny kind of maybe being the worst example. But Benny as a character is not emblematic of like all Egyptians. You no. know, it's not painted as like, oh, these are, you know, no. thieving people or anything. It's just this one guy. You could even say like, oh, well, he's played by an Irish guy. So. <laughs> racist against it's, the Irish. You can't be racist against the Irish. You can never be racist against the Irish. <laughs> uh, I would say the 2017 mummy is... a arguably more racist yeah. than the 99 mummy and yeah. we'll get into why in a minute but also colorblind casting god scarlett johansson yeah was... it's still a th- like we are still doing we haven't learned yeah it's still happening it seems like just in the last couple of years it's finally turning a corner mm-hmm. but it's only until very recently that people were like oh we probably shouldn't have the white lady this sucks this sucks you know, play the anyone else anyone nope um but otherwise you know like i've seen way again true lies uh (laughs) there is definitely some islamophobia in true lies that we'll talk about when when we watch that uh and the mummy is nowhere near that bad there's really no there's no there's there's no actual islamophobia and i think part of it is because in the 1920s because a lot of the Middle East and Egypt were still very much under control of the British Empire. I guess there just wasn't a reason (laughs) for them to be horrible. The Americans are definitely greedy assholes who are, you know, kind of lovable, but greedy assholes who get their just desserts. You know, they are, they are targeted by the mummy because they have taken the sacred jars that have Imhotep's organs in it. Everyone is a problem in this. You know, people are greedy. Um, the Medjai, who are the descendants of Pharaoh's bodyguards, are, it's one of those, oh, I disagree with your methods, but I. But you are trying to do a, a noble thing by preventing the mummy from being awakened by an overeager librarian. And look, who hasn't thought about being awoken by an overeager librarian? <laughs> Rachel Weiss could wake me after 3,000 years. (laughs) She is very attractive, even with very bad eyebrows in this movie. Oh, yeah, they did her dirty. They did everyone dirty. uh, And every woman was done dirty by the, the 90s thin eyebrow craze, which mirrors... The 1932 thin eyebrow craze, um, the the 1932 mummy, uh, it's got some thin eyebrows in there uh, on the women. So maybe it was maybe it was an homage. It might have been. They're like, well, they're already thin. We'll just make them a little right? thinner. Call it good. Well, and what's funny, like Rachel Weiss is very attractive, but there is that quality to her. It's not just that she conforms to our beauty standards. She does, but she's just so intrinsically watchable and likable. Her and Brendan Fraser have such a great, just watchable quality. They have screen presence, and that seems like a no-brainer, but, you know, you're seeing it less and less. People are saying it. Yeah, you. well, you already said this, but they feel like people, whereas I am seeing a lot of people being cast in very big movies who either start off looking like automatons, you know, they were created in a lab, or they are made to look inhuman. And we won't name names, but... The Inhumans. The Inhumans. It's just refreshing to see people who look like people. And best of all, no one is a superhero. The Mummy has some powers, but they are limited, you know, in scope. 
you know, he controls sand and is immortal. But making him mortal, you, you just have to read. Brendan Fraser gets his ass kicked a whole bunch. He's human. He gets tired. Um, there's And there's a lot more tension in the scenes because of that. Punches feel like they actually might hurt rather than just... You throw a punch, now I throw a punch, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, we're going the through end. the fight choreography. That's yeah. what a lot of, uh, I don't know, I get that sense from fight scenes these days. It's like, oh, well, this looks cool. And look, I love a cool looking fight sequence. Uh, and there is a way to have it both ways where it looks cool, but also people get tired as as uh, it goes on. And one problem with most superhero movies is that no one's getting tired. They're superheroes. They were in a nuclear accident or however they got their stupid powers. This movie, Brendan Fraser gets saved by Rachel Weisz a couple of times. Twice, at least twice, um, yeah. Like, he's clearly just a guy. Uh, he's a good fighter, but he's not, he's not like, invincible. Uh, and the mummy, too, even though he has powers... He is still kind of just a guy who can control sand and don't let him kiss you. Like those yeah, are kind of yeah. the two rules. And even that, he doesn't go around kissing everyone. The only reason he kisses Rachel Weiss, and he doesn't like take her life force or anything, but he just kisses her because... Uh, she's Rachel Weiss. She's Rachel Weiss, and he hasn't Frenched anyone in 3,000 years. Had a bit of a dry spell. Despite being a juicy mummy. <laughs> A great line, by the way. I don't know if that was in the script or improvised, but whoever came up with it, hats off to you. Yeah, having having Brendan Fraser and John Hanna say juicy at the same time. Play that at my funeral, will ya? If you haven't seen The Mummy and maybe you're kind of snobby thinking like, oh, I don't know. I heard it was kind of goofy and silly. It is goofy and silly in the best possible way. Yeah. And it's just a well-constructed romp of a movie it's got that sort of indiana jones quality mm -hmm. it's got that sort of 30s and 40s hollywood um quality uh it's peak vice and frazier they're both just crushing it the whole cast is great mm -hmm. the effects mostly hold up like it's just a fun time and as of now, uh, it's available on HBO Max and I think on Peacock, if you have Peacock. <laughs> um, but it's it's pretty available, so seek it out if you haven't seen it. Or if it's been, you know, 20 years since you've seen it. Or even a few months, honestly. Or even a few months. Screw it. What are you doing? You're not doing anything. <laughs> All right, now it's time for Mission Recall's Comparison Corner. So very briefly, I think we can talk about the 1932 boris karloff uh the original mummy yeah it's it's an hour and 13 minutes <laughs> it's it's an hour and 13 minutes and look i know older movies were slower but it's a pretty slow movie even yeah. by 1932 standards it's kind of just guys sitting around and talking yeah uh, which normally i love yeah but it, it's not like the fast-paced no. like, quick talking it's not a screwball comedy this is an arsenic and old lace like this is you know boris karloff is the mummy and he's just a guy which i i do i do kind of like it's it's really interesting the movie opens in like 1921 or so and they excavate the mummy and are studying him and this guy you know kind of accidentally wakes him up and then we flash forward 10 years later so the mummy has just been hanging out paying rent right like he he seems he to be a like a local businessman <laughs> question mark 
who doesn't like to be touched because he's a mummy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of all you can say about it. As far as the Universal Monster movies go, I hadn't actually seen it before. I would recommend like uh, Frankenstein or Wolfman. Like there are better Universal Monster movies, but if you've got an hour to kill and are just kind of curious. It's an hour. It is. It's streaming on Twitch, which is very, very funny. That was where we found it. <laughs> if somebody knows where it is elsewhere. Let us know. Let us know. One thing I did appreciate about the 1932 mummy is it's 1932 and there's this anti-imperialist sensibility to it and this sort of anti-treasure seeking mentality where people who are looking for treasure in Egypt are sort of called out where it's like, you know, you can learn more from these broken bits of pottery than you can from all the gold that's beneath us and I was kind of astonished and there's problems there is brown face in this movie and that really sucks and it is kind of weird given the underpinning sort of oh we're doing things that we shouldn't be doing here sort of ethos but other than that it it wasn't again it was one of those things where it's just like the casting made some poor choices but I, I didn't get a sense of any like virulent racism yeah, this was the height of Jim Crow, which explains the brown face. But but other than that, like, not too bad. And yeah, Boris Karloff is not he Egyptian. Is not Egyptian. <laughs> so yeah, again, the casting is... But the rest of it is surprisingly not terribly racist. Almost moderately woke in talking about like, oh, imperialism yeah. is bad. Like they get mad that... Uh, the Egyptians are keeping the mummy in their museum, in the Cairo Museum. And one guy's like, well, it's theirs, it's man. It's theirs. What are you talking about? Which is nice. That That's is nice. kind of surprising. Kind of a stark contrast to... Now it's it's time for 2017's, uh, the first entry in the long-running and extremely successful <laughs> Dark Universe. Now everyone's talking about the Dark Universe. Have you seen the latest DU? Oh, no. So the 2017 mummy is so atrociously bad that it killed this uh, nascent nascent cinematic universe just dead in its tracks. I think most people think of uh, the mummy as the first in the Dark Universe uh, series, and that's not technically true. Oh, it was as a scholar uh, (laughs) on the subject. It was the first one to have the Dark Universe logo play um, at the beginning. But technically, Dracula Untold, a couple years before that, was supposed to be the first in the series. I don't even remember this movie. It's a real movie. Look it up on IMDb. (laughs) I didn't actually see it, but uh, it was supposedly (laughs) his character would appear in later Dark Universe films. But then the mummy came along and just murdered the whole franchise. And, you know, sometimes you can look back and say like, oh, that's that's undeserved. It's not that bad. Like, let's give it a second second look Mm -hmm. and honestly the first time i saw it was on a plane and i was like boy that that was trash but then we watched it again and i went in with a somewhat open mind and boy i i had not seen it until we watched it together and was immediately like oh we're in for a bad time so the 99 mummy opens with Imhotep and Anuxana Moon, it establishes their love very quickly. And, you know, there's a sort of theatrical quality to it, sort of operatic almost uh, to that to that opening. The opening of the 2017 mummy is 
the Crusaders. It it takes place in 1147 uh, AD and is about these crusaders who have brought stuff back with them from Egypt. And I am not a crusade scholar, but I am fairly certain the crusades did not at any point pass, certainly not the second crusade, which is what this one is, didn't pass through Egypt. They went around, they went through Constantinople. I I simply have no idea where this came from. And the thought of starting your mummy movie just post-conquest England and having it revolve around the Crusades, which involve like three different, three cultures that could not have less to do with ancient Egypt if you tried. Absolutely baffling to me. And it just gets worse from there. I didn't think we could get worse than starting our movie about ancient Egypt in fucking Middle Ages England. And yet, guess where we jump to after Middle Ages England? If you haven't seen the movie, there's no way you're ever going to guess where we go next. And we meet our protagonist, our hero, quote, Tom Cruise, whose name in the movie is Nick, but that is the worst name for Tom Cruise I've ever heard. Impossible. He's not a Nick. No. So I'm just going to refer to him as Tom Cruise because that's dumb as hell. Anyway, we meet Tom Cruise (laughs) in Iraq. Fucking... Iraq. They try and explain it's like, oh, well, they, you know, the crimes of the lady mummy, because this is girl representation. Boss. Representation. Girl the boss. mummy must be a girl boss. She has a side hustle. She is a dom. She was so bad that they mummified her and took her all the way to Mesopotamia. That's a long, long way. At no point. Does the 2017 mummy take place in Egypt? There is there is a flashback to the lady mummy doing the the murders of her pharaoh father and half brother. That is set in Egypt, but that is it. None of the actual action of the movie takes place in fucking Egypt. Why? It's truly bizarre. And they're trying to do this thing, and here's where I think that it's slightly more racist than the 99 mummy um, or even the 32 mummy in that basically they're saying is like they're trying to protect antiquities from terrorists in Iraq. Uh, sort of unnamed, I guess it was sort of ISIS or Al-Qaeda. It, they never actually refer to them by name, but they're there to protect the antiquities. But then they just take the antiquities and fly them off to, to London. And that's no big deal. No yeah. one questions like, wait, should we be doing this? It's just like, well, we found it. We have to We have to take it back for study. And it's just, again, I, I dislike the current trend in a lot of remakes, typically Disney remakes, to become very metatextual uh, and, and insert these sort of faux-woke elements a la Beauty and the Beast and, and it being a whole big thing that Belle can read. But at least say some at least have someone be like no man we can't we can't bring this back like or comment on it with the story itself have the mummy wake up in a in a british museum and be like and have her like devour some lords who funded the plundering of her home or something because as it stands i don't give a shit about what she's trying to do where like She's not even trying to really do anything except escape. She does want to kill Tom Cruise. Oh, true. She wants to bring Set, the god, god of, of death. death, 
she wants to sort of download him. It doesn't... Uh, I, none of her powers make sense. Her effect on other people doesn't make sense. There's a whole thing where Tom Cruise, uh, Jake Johnson is his sidekick. And the actual Nick. The actual Nick Miller. And he is turned into a zombie. But then when he shows up sort of throughout the rest of the movie he disappears for long stretches but when he does he is there he's like a figment of tom cruise's imagination and yet he appears zombified well so the first time we see zombie nick uh he is uh, attacking everybody on the plane everybody can see him and it's it's a whole sequence but then from that point on, we only ever see him as part of Tom Cruise's imagination. So it's very unclear, like, wait, is he there? Is he, Can other people see him? Or has he become this sort of like Tom Cruise's conscience or something? It's, it's very unclear what he's there to do. But the good thing is he disappears for like 45 minutes <laughs> and then pops up at the end, I think. Yeah. That's a good place to talk about, like, side characters, mm-hmm. uh, where the 99 Mummy is just full of great side characters who have, like we said, their own little arcs and storylines. And it's something that's sorely missing from the 2017 Mm -hmm. movie where there's really only four characters. Tom Cruise, blonde Blonde lady. Blonde lady who is an antiquities expert. But has zero personality, zero character. Like, that isn't... I don't think it's the actor's fault. No. I think she simply is given nothing to do. And she is playing against an actor who is playing a character he should never have been cast as. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that in a second. Mm-hmm. But before we get to that, like you, then you've got um, Doctor Jekyll as played by good old Russell Crowe, who is doing the best out of anybody in this movie. He knows what this movie should have been. I feel like, and then Nick Miller, uh, Jake Johnson, yeah, and that's kind of it. You have the Mummy, uh, but unlike in '99. This mummy doesn't really seem to have any personality. All she wants is she's the Joker mummy. She yeah. wants to sow chaos, but there's not a whole lot else going on there. They try really hard to do a lot of gender swapping. None of it works. First of all, the blonde antiquities expert lady whose name I... Oh, Jenny. 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 Right, right, right. Also, a, not a Jenny. Not the right name is supposed to be this antiquity, clearly like going off of what Rachel Weiss's character was. But she is completely extraneous to the action at every point. At no point in this movie does she contribute. She knows ancient Egyptian, but the mummy and Tom Cruise ha- end up having a mental connection. Oh, Yeah, it's sort of a telepathy where Tom Cruise can understand ancient Egyptian, so you don't need the antiquities expert. And she just kind of is around. She's part of Russell Crowe's operation, and and that's kind of it. She gets gets mad that that Russell Crowe's Dr. Jekyll wants to kill Tom Cruise because Tom Cruise is cursed by the mummy, and she's mad about it for reasons that aren't really clear because... In the 99 Mummy, you have Rachel Weisz and, and Brendan Fraser, and there is a build between the characters where... Sexual tension, if you will. When O'Connell is a prisoner and Evie is, like, trying to get him to tell her when where Hominoptera is, he kisses her because he's about to die. And that's, like, you know, played as a joke. And then their kiss at the end is like, whoa, it's the release of this tension that we've built up. In the 2017 Mummy, Tom Cruise and Blonde Jenny. Antiquities Lady... <laughs> 
have already had sex. They have sex off screen before the movie starts. And then I guess Tom Cruise robs her. He like steals something from her. They're trying to set up that he's a scoundrel and supposedly he's on a redemptive arc throughout the movie. But that never really seems to coalesce. Mm -mm. I never get a sense of redemption. He say, spoilers, I guess. (laughs) He saves Jenny at the end. He sacrifices himself to save Jenny with some convoluted magic nonsense that doesn't really seem... I I don't. I I didn't really follow it, but I was pretty checked out. (laughs) Um, So... I guess in that sense, there's a redemptive arc to him, but it's really shallow. It doesn't really connect. You don't get a sense that he's a better person. No. They're trying to make him like this roguish sort of 'er ne'er-do-well who's who's doing his own thing, but he just comes across as an asshole. Tom Cruise is very like high energy. He's in no way a himbo or even really like a rogue rogue. Even when he is a rogue top gun in um, a rogue nation if you (laughs) will oh no but even then he's still pretty straight laced i want to say he's wound very tightly he's a type a kind of character like and i think one of the things the mission impossible movies particularly the later ones have figured out is that he's just sort of a blank slate that you want to watch get beat up you know you want to see him do some stunts risk his life for your entertainment anything on top of that is sort of window dressing Mm -hmm. like technically speaking ethan hunt has love interests in the Mission Impossible movies, but they're very chaste. Mm -hmm. They're almost not even mentioned. It's very just like, oh, and also he's married? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Anyway, here's him on a plane. You could have Michelle Monaghan play his sister and like it would would be fine. (laughs) You would, you know, you would have to have them not kiss, but, but other than that, you could totally pull that off. It wouldn't require a lot of work. It would. Pr- it might even be better. I, think I don't it would actually be better. That's the thing is like so. Uh, Tom Cruise and Blonde Antiquities Lady have sex off screen, and it, and you're like, what thank the hell? Goodness. But that is a thank goodness. You don't. I don't like thinking of Tom Cruise as a sexual being, which is in very stark contrast to. Brendan Fraser, who I loved thinking about in I'm thinking about sexual it right contexts. Now. It does not work here. You needed either like a Chris Pratt or a Chris Pine type to really sell the warmth beneath the character. And that's that's what this movie is missing entirely, is any sense of warmth and humanity. No one seems to like each other. Uh, or there, there's no sense of camaraderie, even no. between uh, Jake Johnson and Tom Cruise. Like, it's unclear why they're hanging out together. Right? Like, they're supposedly a recon team. Yeah, they're in the military, and that's... <sighs> well, Tom Cruise is in the military uh, as part of this recon team until he just isn't yeah. anymore. I guess because everyone dies in the plane crash, including him, but he comes back to life. Not a whole lot of people asking questions about that. It's, it's, there, this huge military plane crashes in England and there's like one news report about it. It's not this insane international incident. And I don't need that in the mummy movie, but it is just kind of funny. It's just a weird thing to write yourself into you didn't have to have that happen yeah you can tell that tom cruise decided oh we're gonna have a plane crash so we can do some zero g stuff that ends up not being all that cool they're just kind of crashing around in the plane 
Yeah, and like, look, normally the one thing that he can do is a great stunt. You know, the again, the Mission Impossible movies will have at least a couple of great stunts in them. And this was clearly trying to do that. And I think maybe the team behind the mummy just wasn't the same team that's behind the mission impossible movies like there was no chris mcquarrie or brad bird or somebody who really understood although didn't chris mcquarrie actually co-write he co-wrote but i think that was his only involvement yeah and i think it shows Mm -hmm. tom cruise is very good at playing kind of an inhuman guy but that doesn't work when your story is about being human which is like kind of what the mummy is about you know even though the mummy is the mummy they're supposed to be very human their reason is very human and that's supposed to sort of be the ethos underpinning all this and you just don't get that from kind of anything here the final thing i want to say about it is that the universal monsters were kind of the first cinematic universe it's not the worst idea to do that again if you must if If you you, must if you must if you gotta just milk that ip for everything it's worth i can think of worse shared universes the problem is they were trying to turn the monsters into superheroes Mm -hmm. uh and so you've got the tie-in with dr jekyll who basically mr hyde is clearly going to be sort of a an evil hulk kind of character yeah you can tell with the visual effects that they're doing on his character and the audio that he is this like roided out monster and you know i would love to see a dr jekyll movie where it turns out that jekyll is the villain because he is like you know a race scientist wielding calipers and getting into eugenics and and hyde is trying to stop him from doing that by destroying his work there's something there. I, I'm not against a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde reboot. It's not like it's some beloved movie. Yeah. And I'm not even against Russell Crowe. Of all the people, of all the poorly cast people in this movie and that were announced for the Dark Universe, pretty much all of them were bad choices. I think he's the best of a bad lot. Yeah. Um, and I think he would have probably done a pretty good job but we don't need this like we don't need them to be superheroes you know universal seems to have learned its lesson in that like the invisible man was a standalone great little genre flick i don't know what they've got planned next but like that's kind of how you reboot Mm -hmm. these movies you don't do this huge superhero franchise that's that's silly it's silly it is silly and your point about genre is a very good one because the mummy is an adventure movie and in the in the 2017 version it's like tom cruise is like where's your sense of adventure and it's like not in this fucking movie it ain't like i don't i don't i don't feel any sense of adventure here there's no swashbuckling the 2017 mummy is just dark and you know it takes place in london it's just all wrong i don't want to go on an adventure with tom cruise in not in this movie it just it just feels so hollow trying to paint by the marvel universe numbers where like that's not what people want like they have that in like five minutes you and i managed to come up with a basic mummy reboot premise that probably would be okay and let's talk about it because i think i think we've talked enough about the 2017 mummy if you haven't seen it go ahead and continue living your life (laughs) so here's the thing instead of watching the 2017 mummy or remaking the 99 mummy uh like we're about to pitch 
just don't do anything. Yeah, just go don't watch. Do nothing. Just go watch, go watch the '99 Mummy. That's the ultimate um, lesson here. With that being said, if you are going to remake the Mummy, here's how we do it. I don't hate the idea of doing a sort of gender role swap. Uh, so if you have the, fe- you know, Rachel Vice's character be more a protector of sorts, and have the the male character be a sort of nerd you could do that and how you can even have a lady mummy but no boss lady mummy i can't i can't handle it especially with those turf bangs those those oh she did have turf bangs the 2017 mummy had turf bangs oh no it was a really weird choice so donald gleason is is perfect for a sort of like very nerdy the fellow from Cambridge who is who comes to a you know the British Museum maybe to work on this new mummy that they've found this new tomb that they have brought back from Egypt they have you know against the will of the Egyptian government have, have brought it back and either a sort of a Gwendolyn Christie or or a Phoebe Waller Bridge I think that's a great choice she has that very like kind of classic look but with some training, I think you could you could get her to do the physicality. She's definitely got the physicality. She's very tall. <laughs> is she is is she capable of fighting or is she just tall? So there's your kind of gender role reversal where she has to kind of protect uh, Donald Gleason as the mummy wakes up in this British museum and it becomes an adventure movie in that they have to chase the mummy from london to the sands of egypt holy shit a movie that at least sort of takes place in egypt what a concept and i really like the idea of the mummy waking up and and exacting some sort of vengeance on the british plutocrats who or aristocrats whichever flavor of the month it is whether they bought their way into the house of lords or not there's a gala going on at the museum and it's a bunch of rich donors and the mummy like you know is able to sense the people that that brought her out of her home and and sucks them dry if you're gonna have a commentary i think that's a pretty good one and it doesn't have to beat you over the head that that scene can happen again sort of i guess like the joker in in the dark knight uh, oh yeah that is (laughs) uh, during the fundraising uh, scene there like you could kind of have it similar to that and then off she goes and she escapes and they have to track her across Europe, across the Mediterranean, North Africa, you know, and back into Egypt where you have your final showdown, you know, at the foot of the pyramids or in the tomb. In a tomb or, somewhere. Yeah, there's, there's a lot that you can do there and you can fill it with great side characters who add a lot of flavor and fun uh, to this movie. And it can be a romp. It can be a mm-hmm. swashbuckling adventure again. And you can have that sweet, sweet sexual tension between two attractive people what again what a concept so that's our pitch uh universal if you're listening give us a call have our people (laughs) talk to your people there is a way to do this right uh, and have your your uh, remakes and your universes and everything that you want failing that just re-release the mummy in theaters it's uh, i would go i would buy a ticket to that that would actually be a lot of fun. I'd love to see like a 35 millimeter print yeah. of, of The Mummy in theaters and Tarantino's new theater they just Ooh, bought. That'd be yeah. fun. Thanks for joining us. We really appreciate you coming on this little journey through the sexual tension of the 1999 Mummy. For the next episode, we're going to continue that sexual tension with 
Twister, starring the shockingly sexual Bill Paxton and <laughs> Helen Hunt. Crazy. 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 Uh, and just, again, uh, just a bevy of incredible side characters. You've got Philip Seymour Hoffman, Carrie Elwes, like just so many little side characters that that you remember for years after after watching these movies. So tune in for Twister next time. And in the meantime, while you're waiting, maybe go check out 1999's The Mummy.